Hi, this is Dr. Harold Arnold, author of Second Shift, How to Grow Your Part-Time Passion to Full-Time Influence. I am so stoked because you're listening to listening to Chasing Dreams with Amy J. And yes, she's a superstar. Welcome to Chasing Dreams Podcast with Amy J. Amy believes that realizing a life without regrets is achieved by taking chances, chasing your dreams, making moves, and overcoming your doubts. The Chasing Dreams Podcast will help you overcome life's obstacles, believe in your potential, and inspire you to face your fears. And now here's the woman who is passionately pursuing her dreams, Amy J. Hi, Dream Chasers. This is Amy J. And thank you so much for tuning into episode 68 of Chasing Dreams. Today with me is Dr. Harold Arnold, who I met recently and reunited, actually even earlier this year. And he is the founder of The Pursuit of Influence, a social and organizational psychologist who specializes in developing family-focused culture in homes, places of worship, and business settings. Dr. Harold is a leadership enthusiast who relishes empowering leaders to maximum influence through his weekly Leading You Home podcast, blogging at heraldarnold.com, and numerous workshops. He is currently spearheading initiative to bring a thousand Christian couples together for spiritual and marital renewal. And, you know, I don't know if it's kismet or luck, fate, whatever, but I ran into him in Philly recently and we reconnected and he found some time to come on the show and he's a gem and I'm so happy he could come here. Harold, how are you doing? Amy, I'm fantastic. And yes, it is. Um, it's just been a wonder when we met, we met at Podcast Movement mm-hmm. 2016. I think that was our first meeting it was. and little did we know that our paths would cross again uh, soon thereafter at a local Philadelphia meetup. And so, you know, I think God's trying to tell us something that we need to talk. So I'm so glad that we are we are able to do that today and that give your audience a chance to just uh, eavesdrop on us. Yeah, absolutely. And so, guys, I found a Philly friend. I have a few of them, but another yes. Philly friend. So I'm very excited because, you know, he's not too far. And you're right, Harold. Uh, one of the things I was excited to learn was that you published a book, but just earlier off the record, you told me you've, you've published two books this year. Yeah, it was crazy. That's I really don't crazy. That, by the way, um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, unless you are an insomniac, I, I recommend uh, doing maybe one book uh, a year rather than two. But it's one of those things where, you know, you pray for favor. At least I do. And what happened? I was writing this book, the, the Second Shift, and I was still early in the book, Amy. I was maybe ultimately I anticipated it was going to be about seventy-two to seventy-five thousand, so it was going to be a long book, all right. And I was about a third of the way through, and I got a call from a publisher who asked if I would write them a marriage book. And at the time, I'm like, you know, I've already written a marriage book before, and so they said they really put on a strong sell for what the benefit, what they saw as the benefits. And obviously I, you know, they asked me to pray about it, to be honest. And I went away and I did. And 
And I really did feel after that felt led to do this marriage book. And so I ended up last year, rather than writing one book, uh, I ended up writing two. And, uh, you know, it was a it was a challenging process. And we certainly can talk some about that if you think that would be helpful to your audience. Um, I definitely have some lessons learned from that. Uh, and but even after writing the book, you know what they say, once you've written the book, 10 percent of the work is done. So now you have the work of actually getting the, the message out there to the masses. And and so I get to do that for two books this year. Well, yeah. And, and I, I want to talk about all of it because this isn't even you wrote two books this year. You wrote this is your fourth book. You've written four books. You have a goal for yourself that we talked about where you're trying to appear on a hundred podcasts in six months. Well, in your intro, I talked about, you know, your initiative that you're working on. You just have so many different things going on that there's so much to talk about. I'm going to rewind it though and backtrack to what apparently was a past life for you. Before any of this, you had a life in IT. <laughs> oh, you went on to take us way back. Um, yes, my my career, my undergraduate degree is in information systems. And for 15 years, I did IT related stuff uh, in the D.C. area, mostly and a little bit out west in California while I was doing my marriage and family therapy master's program. I was also working full time and doing, uh, and, you know, I had to, we had to eat. So, uh, so yeah, it's it was, you know, it was good to me. And, but there was something inside me, Amy, one day, and, and maybe this really captures it. Uh, one day I was listening to the radio. I think at the time it was focused on the family. Um, your listeners may be familiar with that uh, show, but back then this is in the eighties or so at this point it's in the early nineties. And, um, you know, I was listening to these guys, on the program one day, Amy, and it was they were middle aged guys and they were talking about so many of their regrets and what they wish they had done and to get to this point in life and, you know, have that sense of regret and wishing they had done this and that and the other. And I'm literally I mean, I was sitting in the car in the IBM parking lot crying. Because I was saying, I don't want to be that. I don't want to get to middle age and feel like I haven't lived the life that I was put here to do. And at that time, while you know I was young, I was pretty young back then. But even then, I just had this sense that there was something bigger uh, that I was about. But I was really struggling to pinpoint what that is. And you know, some of that is self-limiting beliefs and a lot of different things. But it was a wake in sense. It was a wake up call for me to to keep my antenna up and be searching. You know, what am I here for? What is my why? And you know, that led to a process that ultimately that took us out to California and then to Philadelphia. And you know, the thing is now, am Amy? I am that middle aged person now. You know, I'm 51 years old now, and honestly, I can look back over these years and I really feel proud of what. I've, you know, what I've been able to do, but even more so than that, who I've become, um, because I've transformed over that time period. And ultimately, that's what all of this is about. All of the second shift for me, all those things that you talk about that I do, all of that's the second shift. So I have a day job, uh, too, that's a demanding day job. But what we do on that second shift can be the difference maker in how we feel the quality of our life has been. And that's actually, uh, you, you asked, I wanted to go way back. That's exactly why you, you kind of 
hit the nail on the head in that you had a change of of shifts mm-hmm. you know for 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 what you what you did and so i think oftentimes people feel they have to settle and the fact that you kind of had that aha moment that epiphany that lightning bolt and you you absorbed it you accepted it embraced it and moved forward and here you are you know doing psychology and writing books and doing all these things it's it's an entirely different position than you were previously and so now that you're here cuz you know it's very difficult to kind of make a decision where cuz you have a phd yes and that is not an easy thing i mean if you remember <laughs> any of our previous listeners you know dr kyla mcmullen or uh dozy you know the, all of them will tell you it's not easy it's worth it yeah. it's not easy and so for you to endure that journey kudos to you well thank you it was part of or it's multifaceted but part of it was really to i'm a lifelong learner and so part of it is just my natural desire to uh, consume and learn uh, and but also to really be able to feel like you have a sense of authority in a, in a space and be able to speak to it uh, credibly and in some cases for access, you know, it, it does help in access in some cases. And so, you know, I'm just grateful for the opportunity. You know, it was a blessing. You know, it was, it was for me, it was a funded Ph.D. program. So, it's you know, just being able to get into something where I'm not laying out my own money. And in fact, they're paying me to come. Uh, you know, it's just a blessing. And I don't take that for granted. But you're right. It's a lot of it's a lot of work. And I tell anyone you don't do a Ph.D. unless you can't imagine not doing it. That's really well said. Mm-hmm. That that kind of sums it all up there, guys. Uh, keep that in mind. <laughs> for sure. <laughs> Don't take it lightly. Oh, no. And, and I, I say the same thing for, for lawyers. Anybody think about law school? It's, it's mm-hmm. very similar. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it, if you can't imagine not doing it, you know, it takes some time to consider it. But, yeah. Errol, as you're going through the Ph.D. process and you're you're studying and you're kind of going through this. Did you know what you wanted to do with your degree? Well, I knew at that point, because at that point, you know, I had several degrees at that point, And I knew that I wanted to have an impact in the two facets. One is leadership. And my, my dissertation actually uh, was uh, on leadership. It was actually transformational leadership among people of African descent. And at the time, it probably still is, it was the largest quantitative study of black leadership that's ever been conducted globally. Um, it was a, I think, 113 leaders in 80 different organizations wow. and their followers. And so it was a massive study. And, you know, it was intended to really understand these dynamics of transformational leadership, which is a, you know, it's a really well-researched model. It had just never been applied to the black community. And uh, so it was a you know, pretty fascinating process. So, you know, I knew leadership and I also knew, you know, I'd gone and done the marriage and family therapy program. And, you know, I knew while I was in that program, after one year, I knew that I did not want to be a full time clinician. And when I would when we moved across the country to attend that program, I had assumed that that's exactly what I was going to do. So you can imagine sort of how surreal it was when I sort of came to this conclusion after one year and I had two more to go that I really don't think I want to be a full time clinician. Mm -hmm. And so then the question is, well, what do you want to be then? And 
you know, it took me a little bit uh, to kind of get my arms around it. But really this idea of psychoeducational uh, type of um, things, writing, speaking, um, networking, you know, bringing those things to bear and really helping people uh, kind of on the in the front lines um, that resonated with me. And that's really where I've established myself. So in ESA, while I was going through the Ph.D. program, you know, I understood that that marriage and family stuff was going to play a significant role in what I would be doing once I finished uh, that as well, certainly on the second shift. And that's actually I mean, with with a Ph.D., you, you end up writing a lot. So, yes, to say the least. Yeah. <laughs> right. That ends reading up reading a lot and writing a lot. It's almost like even if you didn't know how to do it before, you sure enough by the end of it are adapt, adept at it. Right. And, yeah, you, and it's a different type of style of writing. It's a different type of writing. But, you know, it's one of those things. And in one of the it, you learn how to you learn how to research for sure, especially the type of um, site program that I did it was very. Uh, methodologically rigorous. It's a lot of stats, a lot of research methods. And so you learn how to, re- you know, really research and get to, there's so much of the writing these days, Amy, and there's a, there is a role for popular writing, you know, that's just kind of light and fun. But there's also a role for deeper uh, writing that's grounded, you know, and I think, you know, certainly a PhD programs and things like that prepare you for that deeper uh, research and connecting the dots, kind of forming paradigms. And part of that really resonates with me because just the way my brain works, I, I'm really into paradigms. I'm really into models. Uh, and, and so, you know, a PhD program tends to, tends to work naturally with my type of personality, learning style, and the things that resonate, you know, resonate with me. Um, but ultimately, uh, Amy, I think one of the important points is it's about writing that resonates with people, you know, and so regardless of what style you use, it's if we lose sight of the people that we are trying to touch. uh, And I think that for me has been an evolution because a lot of my early writing in my first books, you know, they really came more from that. um, I think they came more from petty. They were more cognitive and challenging. And, you know, I'm really proud of it. But it, it was really it's intellect, almost almost intellectual in a way. Um, and more recently, what I've been trying to do is to really write in a way that really touches an emotional core with people so they can see themselves in that. Um, and so it's really something that, you know, I say writers write. Right. So you just have to get out there and really put that word on, you know, put those ideas on paper in a way that it can touch where people are um, and they have to feel that you care. And because, you know, you've heard the adage, you know, they don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. And that certainly applies to writing as well. Oh, I like that. That's really good. I mean, I, you're right. There, There is an evolution to writing and I'm sure with four books, you evolved in that. And I kind of want to talk about your, your books, if you don't mind for a little bit. And, how you came up with what you wrote about. I know for your fourth book, the publishers reached out to you, but as you wrote your first, as you wrote your second, and then second shift came about, where did that come from? The inspiration for those books? 
so I come from a very strong faith orientation. I've grown mm-hmm. up that way. Um, my fa- my father's a pastor. It was one pretty much by the time when I was born. Maybe I was two um, when he started to, um, you know, the pastorate. And so, you know, that's always been my uh, background. And so it was this time, Amy, to be honest, I was I'd gotten you. So obviously I'd finished my, you know, I'd done the marriage and family therapy program, realized that I, I did not want to be a full-time clinician. I had gone through this PhD program and, you know, so, you know, I have doctor in front of my name, but I was really struggling. Like, so God, what, you know, what now? I mean, what am I supposed to do? I know how I feel, but I don't know what I'm supposed to do. And if we, if we're talking about marriage, which that was kind of my space, it was in my head at the time. If we're talking about marriage, well, what about marriage? You know, there's there's tons of marriage stuff out there already. And so what do I do? And at the time at my church, we were going through this 40 days of purpose. You you or your audience may be familiar with Pastor Rick Warren and his 40 days of purpose um, book um, that was, you know, New York Times bestseller many times over. And you know, we were going through that process for 40 days. And my prayer, I mean, during that 40 days was God, it was one of these, you know, prayers like Jacob in the Bible. It's, you know, I'm not going to let go until you bless me. In this 40 days, I really want to get a sense of what it is that you want me to do. What am I supposed to do? Mm -hmm. I feel like I've done the thing. I've traveled. I moved across the country because I wanted to be obedient. I felt that was a matter of obedience. You know, I've gone through this PhD program um, because I thought that's what I was supposed to do. Now, what do I do now? And literally during that 40 day period, this whole this model uh, called Marriage Rocks dropped into my spirit. I don't know how else to say that. I hope that's not too super spiritual. But Marriage Rocks uh, is the model. And the Rocks is an acronym for redemption, offering, covenant, knowledge and sacred space. And so that was like, oh, whoa. So I spent the next year or so really developing Marriage Rocks and and ultimately, it really helped to define really what my voice is and where my voice speaks. Because, and that's the thing, and that's one of the points that I really try to sell in Second Shift that every one of us has a voice and it's unique. And our voice has to uniquely speak uh, into a space that no other voice speaks to by definition, because each of us are, you know, uniquely and wonderfully made. And so it, that process really helps me understand more specifically where my voice is. And that voice is really this intersection of, you know, our faith and our, you know, and whether it's leadership, it is it's our where our faith intersects these different aspects of daily life, whether that's leadership uh, and or whether it's marriage. Uh, those will be the big two for me. Um, but, you know, it's this integration of faith and relationships. You know, it's it's not just faith for faith's sake and it's not just marriage and parenting stuff, but it's the integration piece. And so that's what that's what Marriage Rocks is. It it is it's puts a stake right there at this intersection of uh, marriage and our faith and challenges us to. Uh, and obviously, we're talking about a country uh, in a world to some extent where marriage um there's, it's, there's struggles and, you know, a lot of split ups and separations and um, angst and hatred. And, um, and so 
Marriage Rocks really challenges certainly those of faith to to think about the parallels between, you know, when we think about redemption, those of us that come from a faith tradition, we think about, you know, we, we have a clear sense of what that means in a faith tradition. But what does that mean in the context of marriage? What does it mean to be a redemptive spouse? What does it mean to often give acceptable offerings to your spouse? What does it mean to have that covenant relationship and have those type of boundaries? You know, what does it mean to have your marriage speak to a culture? You know, those are those are things that are not just about the gospel as applied, you know, as what's written in the words of a Bible or you, your relationship with God. It's also about your relationship with your spouse, your relationship with your kids, your relationship with your coworkers, your relationship with your employees. Uh, and so Marriage Rocks was my first kind of foray into that aspect of integration. Does that make sense? It does. And what I like is that you felt something that was calling to you, right? And, yes. and, and you, and you pursued it. And so for anyone who, I don't want people to turn away because, you know, Harold is a, a Christian who has a strong faith. I mean, the same thing can be applied to those who aren't, don't have a faith or, you know, it's a different faith or whatever. If there is a topic that speaks to you, you know, don't ignore it. Mm-hmm. I mean, it could be a different thing in, for whatever reason, you know, for Harold, it was this and you wrote about it. And I love that because it's a reflection of you. And that's, yes. you know, that you didn't ignore it. And oftentimes people have, these ideas, or I want to write a book on this, or I want to do that. And there's something talking to them, you know, however you want to categorize it, but you got to kind of listen to it. However That's you categorize key. it, That's listen to key. it. We don't listen. We, we get so busy. Uh, we want to sound like Amy. How, how does Amy do that? You know, we want to sound like Amy. We want to sound like so many other people. You know, you can go through these A-listers uh, and every, you get, I mean, you've heard this copycat syndrome, that type of mm-hmm. label. And it doesn't allow people to really listen well to what they are supposed to do. And you're, you're absolutely right. It's not about, you know, you know, I'm using my own voice, you yep. know, and talking about my background and the faith, you know, faith orientation. But the same principle applies to anyone. As what is your why? And that's why I keep stressing this point about what is that unique thing for you, that unique spot and space for why are you here? Um, and it's to articulate that. And you're not going to really hone that as long as you're trying to be like Amy and be like everyone else. And so you really, yes, we listen and we learn from others. Um, but then we allow our voice to kind of cultivate and to grow, to evolve on its own. And we look at the things that speak and are, we, we are passionate about and the, what we want to happen in the world, the things that whether whatever that is for you, you know, it, it's just it can be, it can be real estate investing. I, was just, I mean, I, was, I listened to bigger, you know, um, bigger pockets podcast. And as I was listening to a guy today, just he was he almost sounds like a real estate evangelist. He's so excited, <laughs> you know, about it. And that's what I'm talking about, regardless of what your space is. It's like grab it, you know, and just own it. And I wrote I was I just went to Chicago a couple of days ago and I wrote in the airport. I was typing on Facebook. Right. What I was right. Um, walking from the airplane to the taxi. And like, you know, I have these people ask me quite often, like, how do you come up with these ideas? And, you know, I just feel like I don't know what I want to write about. And I'm like, you know, I've come up with two ideas between the plane and the taxi, you know, just by observing and seeing things like, oh, and I have to make a note. Oh, so I don't forget this great idea. And so it's like with that sense of inquisitiveness, look and observe and think about what matters to you. 
And I think when you do that, you, you know, it will, it'll come naturally. And, you know, I, and if I can just say this one point, Amy, when I was in this um, PhD program, Mm -hmm. the, one of my advisors, you know, he says, you know, he's talking, well, this is how, you know, the big, the big issue is right. How you come up with your dissertation. Right. Uh, And this has got to be some unique work that nobody has ever done before. Right. It feels so daunting. Like this is nobody in human history has ever done this before. Um, How am I supposed to do that? And you want an answer. You want to say you want somebody to tell you what the topic should be. What are you supposed to do? Mm -hmm. Give you that one thing that, you know, and the, and his response was, you don't find your dissertation. It finds you. What? I mean, what do you mean? <laughs> it's I, like the nightmare is, answer. Like, like, not satisfying I'm sorry, at what? all. That is not the response no. I want to hear. Right. And um, but it's so and they tell you, you just keep reading, keep reading and just listening and it will find you. And you know what? And and that was certainly my experience. You read and you read and you read till you feel like you can't read anymore. And then one day that it really does feel like an epiphany. And I think a lot of what we're talking about is that same dynamic. Sometimes we can try so hard to pin, you know, to nail something down and it takes away from our ability to just listen well and follow the signs and, and then, you know, accept those aha you know, maybe it doesn't look like what you originally thought it was going to be. Right. And so it's about listening well. And, you know, when we had a conversation, when we when we reconnected uh, at the podcast meetup, we, we talked about something that really kind of stuck with me and how so many people try and suffer from uh, copycatting, you know, mm-hmm. imposter syndrome and just, uh, you know, feeling that way. And oftentimes they want a layout, you know, OK, tell me. At ABC, what am I supposed to do? Mm-hmm. What is it I need to do to kind of make this happen? It happens with podcasts, book writing, you know, right. a number of different areas. And the thing is, for me, um, I think you hit the nail on the head. What is it for that person? For each individual, it's different. And what is it about you that you can bring to the ABC? Because then it becomes A prime, B prime, C prime. And I'm bringing my nerdiness there with that, right? Because it, it changes, it transforms, and that it becomes different. That's why, you know, Harold may have an idea for one thing. I may have an idea for one thing. Uh, but it's different because I'm going to put my spin on it, and he's going to put his spin on it. You know, mm-hmm. that's why niches are so important. That's why doing your own thing is so important. And the thing is, and, and Harold, let me tell me if, if, you, if you've seen this. It's a shame when people don't try and do things their own way, because I think the perspective each person brings, you know, to the table, so to speak, shapes the world, the country, you know, everybody's day to day. Exactly. I mean, it's I mean, use a example in my world. Right. One of you know, I spend a lot of time working with marriages. Right. Mm-hmm. And, they, you know, there's a lot of consternation. Yes. And um, a lot of them don't make it. And a lot of them that still together really are not together. And so, you know, and so it's, it's this notion of so often the individuality, the the issue is that I want my wife to be like me, right? I mean, if she was like me, everything would be better, right? Yeah. I mean, she, we would get along so much better because my thinking about this is really the right way. 
well, eh, wrong, try again, right? And, be, and it sounds silly even saying it that way, right? Um, what, when we first were attracted to the person, we were because they're usually because there's the differences and the things with, you know, they're so, it feels so complimentary, right? Because everything, where, you know, when I'm, my weaknesses, wow, that's her strengths, right? But then the, over the course of marriage, her, those things that are different irritate me, rub me the wrong way. And I want, I want her to be more like me. Right. And so but what happens when you do that? Well, you I don't grow. I don't become the person that I should become because I don't I want to take away the that force that is really there to help shape me and vice versa. So it's the differences that really help to cultivate the, the optimal Harold. And the same thing applies out in these contexts that we're talking about, the leadership space, personal development space. All of these things, we need those unique voices. And, you know, and when we are able to do that, even in an example with this, my latest book with this, The Unfair Advantage, the publisher comes to me and asks for a marriage book. Well, I'm like, there's tons of marriage books out there already. I don't know sure. that I feel compelled, including my own. I don't know that I feel compelled to write another marriage book. But when they asked me to, to, you know, really reflect on it and pray about it, then I went away and I'm like, and this thing that dropped in my spirit was really, it is unique to my knowledge or nor the publisher's knowledge has ever taken that tack on marriage about the unfair advantage. And it's because, you know, it's not drawing, yeah, it's the field of marriage, but it's like you said, it's, you know, really allowing that in listening well and allowing what's in you. And, you know, part of that is because you've, you've consumed good, you know, you've consumed knowledge, you've been listening to tons of podcasts, you've been reading tons of books, you've been, you know, reading blogs and all of this stuff. Well, you know, take all of that and synthesize it and let it speak, you know, in the, in your own voice. And when you do that, it's going to be different than anyone else's. And that's what I would encourage. That's what we need. And without that, the world is not as optimal as it could be. Harold, when you, you know, uh, felt that calling, felt that inspiration that you had, what would you recommend to people who are struggling or trying to find out what that is for them? Any suggestions on what they could do to kind of, I don't know, speed it along, but like kind of, yeah. get in, <laughs> I don't know if you can, but uh, yeah. get, get in the right well, zone. I think that... You know, I think that there's a lot of things you can do. And I talk a lot about it in Second Shift, too. You know, the, the sections are listen, love and lead. And I think each of those is part of the answer. And we've been talking a lot about the listen part, you know, because it's about listening to, you know, it's about listening to others, smart people and, and hearing ideas and um becoming a smarter person yourself. But it's also about listening internally to really what makes you tick and what do you really care about? And what, and, and you know, I can give a, an example, sometimes what it is that we really care about, we can't figure out how to monetize it, you know, or whatever. We don't see people monetizing it or whatever. And so for whatever reason, we oftentimes will suppress what really does matter to us because we don't see other people doing it. You know, and so and what I'm saying is just just listen to it, you know, and go with and go with it. So it's one, it's listening to smart people out there who are doing great things and learn. And then also listening to your own self 
Uh, and, you know, for me, that has a faith component to it as well. But it's also listening to those um, with whom, you know, in your circle of, of influence, you know, getting in the right circle. You know, those, you know, Jim Rohn, you often hear that whole Jim Rohn thing about the five people with whom you spend the most time. Yep. And, you know, it's finding those five people for you. Many of us, and I talk about in the book, many of us need to change our fave five. You know, we need to, you know, some of those people that we're spending so much time with, they're not the people that are really cultivating those dreams that you they need to chase. And so we need to, you know, replace some of these five people. And sometimes that's family, sometimes that's longtime friends. And so as we uh, change that circle, then I think and listen well, I think all of those things are going to help shape what it is that you have to say. But then you have to it's not a I don't think it's an epiphany where it just becomes so clear in in one day for most of us. I think it's the process of doing the work of as you listen, then you start doing the work. And then part of that, as you listen, then it's who are the people who need to hear that? And that's where that love component comes in. Amy, who are the people that you care about and you want to see a transformation in their lives? Who do you love? And so, you know, use what it is that matters to you to reach the people that matter uh, to you. And when you do that, that is the uh, epitome. That's the essence of what leadership is really about. Um, You know, it's about doing the things that really matter to you for the people that really matter to you. Uh, And uh, I think that's the, the, the greatest testament to true leadership. Harold, you said something there that actually just kind of stuck with me. Just it was the part about, you know, kind of focusing on the people that matter to you, people you love. And Mm -hmm. that's actually why Chasing Dreams, uh, for those who know the story, have heard me talk about it before, began. I mean, I started because I wanted to do something for my little cousins and younger people around me who don't get exposure to others in different areas Mm -hmm. and things like that. And you know, it's had more of an impact on me than I thought it would and has, mm-hmm. you know, done more than I thought it would just by doing it the way I want yeah. to do it. And it's amazing. Yeah. yeah, no, exactly. It's the step, right? It's it's one of these things. And we hear it all the time in the influencer space, personal development space. Um, you know, it's you it becomes clear after you step. You know, and obviously, you know, you can look at that from a faith perspective or you can look at that from a secular perspective. But regardless, it's the same principle. Mm -hmm. You know, the thing so many people want clarity before they move, they move. And I don't think that's the way the universe works for us. I don't think that's the way God works for us. Uh, And so I think, you know, when I love this, one of the vignettes that I talk about in in the book is when uh, this guy approaches Mother Teresa, you know, and. He asked her, you know, to pray for him. And, you know, she asked, well, how do you want me to pray? What do you want me to pray for? And he said, you know, to pray for clarity, you know, (laughs) and she was like, clarity. She's like, I'm not going to pray for clarity for you. And he's like, what do you mean? She's like, I've I've never had clarity. Um, And um, he's like, well, you always seem like you've known and you've had. And she's like, I've never had clarity. All I can say, you know, that I've had is trust. You know, and so I will pray that you have trust, that you trust. And that, I think, is what speaks to a lot of us. You know, it's we want clarity because that get, that helps us feel secure. Right. That's the psychologist in me, you know, speaking. It's, it's we want that security. 
but the the risk that you know you have to go out there and take that step and chase those dreams in all its the, with the, the fears that it often invokes um, in order to really discover and as you take those steps things become clearer right and so that's why chasing dreams you know is is expanding your territory and bringing you before great men and women um, because you took that step yeah and you know you you. You just keep hitting these these cold cold things because I think you're right. In the if you stay in the same place, you get the same view, mm-hmm. right? You don't exactly. you can't change your view unless you take that step. Right, that's exactly right. Um, our comfort zone is our grave. <laughs> that's Ooh. the bottom line. And <laughs> so many of you know, so many of us really struggle, and you know, some of that is because of things we've endured and some hurtful things that's happened in our past and some rejections. I mean, it could a multiplicity of reasons that that can be the case. But you know, the bottom line is we need someone, and that's why that five people, those five people, are so important. We need some ones that can help push us out of our comfort zone because it is the rare person, Amy, that pushes themselves out of the comfort zone. Usually it's a circumstance. Sometimes it's the job that lets you go when you weren't ready to be let go, right? And so that pushed you out of a comfort zone. You had to take a step that you wouldn't have taken otherwise. And you can go through a myriad of similar examples. Um, And sometimes it's spouses that can push you out of your comfort zone. But growth does not happen in the comfort zone. Growth only happens in the discomfort zone. That's one of the points that I spend quite a bit of time emphasizing in, in Second Shift, that we have to grow. We have to, and we can only do that as we really uh, embrace this idea of being uncomfortable. You know, and I love this Mario Andretti quote I've heard. You know, he's, he said, if I'm not scared, I'm not going fast enough. I mean, he's a race car driver for those who may not know a famous one of the most famous ever um, indie drivers. Um, so he says, if I'm not if I'm not scared, I'm not going fast enough. Wow. Well, that speaks volumes to all of us, doesn't it? I mean, if we imagine that if we live that way where we if we know that we're going to be on this kind of precipice frequently of, you know, is this too big for me? Mm-hmm. You know, what is this whole, I mean, so many of us in this influence space and, you know, we talk about, we've heard this whole 10X idea. What do you think that's about? Why is that effective, right? It's, it's because people realize that you can't use the old systems that you've used before that have said that you perfected in your comfort zone and 10X what it is that you currently do. You have to come up with a better system. You have to push yourself out. You're probably going to have to network and connect with people in a way that you never have. And, you know, just to use that practical example that you said you mentioned at the top of the show with this thousand couples that I I am spearheading an initiative to bring together a thousand Christian couples for a spiritual awakening and marriage. A thousand Christian couples, Amy, that's crazy. I mean, I do good and people that do what I do, if we bring together a hundred people, we're like doing a happy dance down the street, right? I mean, we think that we hit the boatload of success. And so a thousand, well, that's a 10X, right? And that 10X, I know there's no way that I can do that in my comfort zone. It demands something of me. And but as hard and daunting as that is, it also is going to be where my growth comes. I mean, that's a challenge. And I'm so excited. And we'll definitely have to check back in to see how that's going. Do you have like a uh, time limit you're setting for yourself? Or you're just kind of 
Yeah, no, we had phase one of it a couple weeks ago in um, October of 2016. And um, phase one was in D.C. And it was uh, a small group, a team of people that I pulled together to share the vision. And, you know, there was a lot of enthusiasm about it. So October of 2017, we're going for 500 couples. And then October of 2018, a thousand couples. So there'll be more. We don't have the landing page and stuff up yet. We're still trying to nail down some details of logistical details. But um, but yeah, I'll definitely keep you informed of how how it's going. But, it, you know, the big point here is what is that for you? What is that for Amy? What is that for every individual listener? Each of us has that one thousand couples. You know, it's being able to arti- own that and articulate that you know, and then take that step towards that, that is makes all the difference. And guys, you should, that's great point, especially with the new year coming up 2017 around the corner. A lot of people are very focused on new years, new beginnings. So maybe start thinking about that, seeing how it goes. And Harold, before we wrap up, one thing I have to ask, I mean, there's been so many great advice in here. What is something you would tell someone who's chasing their dream, whether it be a resource, a piece of advice, something they should do? Mm. Yeah, I think, what is that? Never give up. Never, 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 ever give up. I mean, I think the thing is that it isn't really as much about the what you achieve. It really isn't. I mean, that's the thing. And, you know, I'm an achiever. And... So it's a little unnerving to even say that. So whatever that thing is, you know, we get we can get so focused on did we achieve it or did we not? But that's not really the ultimate point. The real ultimate point, Amy, is who you become. That's the key. Uh, And it's important that you become your best self. You need to become your best self for you, for your family. If you have children for your children, you're speaking, you're a testimony to them. You know, just like you talked about your family and nieces, nephews, I think you were saying, or cousins. And, you know, your speech, your testimony speaks volumes to them. So it's not even just what you say, it's what they see in you. And that is going, you know, and I think about my kids. I mean, a lot of this second shit for me and my drive and, you know, my persistence and keep doing it, you know, day in and day out. You know, I want my kids to... I want them to see something in their dad. You know, I want them to throughout the rest for the rest of their lives. And after I'm gone, I want that to be in them with that. Like I think right now of my grandmother, I think of the I have the images of her burned in my head. I see her in the kitchen and sacrificing and doing stuff for people. Just she won't stop. She just keeps doing for them and doing for them. And that speaks to me. That's what drives me. You know, I think of my dad who, you know, does his day job. He, he did his day job for 40 years in a factory, but then he goes and pastors in a church and, you know, day in and year in and year out and decade in and decade out, decade out with persistence. That's what I want. That's the way I want my kids to think about me, that the, the things, and I pray that they be leaders in their generation. And I want them to remember this is what, you know, this isn't just what my dad achieved. You know, it's who my dad became. And um, I think if all of us can kind of own that part of becoming our best selves, then we're going to get to that point, like that radio show that I was focused on the family while I was telling you about. Whatever that mark is for you, you're going to feel good about that life in retrospect. Looking back, you're going to feel good with what 
uh, the opportunities that you had and the person you became and the people you impacted. And at the end of the day, that's what is really going to matter. I never know why I try to speak afterwards, because that's really a great way to end it. Because <laughs> not only should you listen to what Harold was saying there, but also check out his book, The Second Shift, and also check out his blog. He uh, he puts up articles on there that have some great posts on leadership and personal development that you should be checking out, all of which will be on the show notes page. Harold, thank you so much for coming on the show and sharing this knowledge. I hope, I know I got I got a lot out of this and I hopefully our listeners did as well. Amy, thank you so much for having me. I wish God's greatest blessings on you and all that you're doing and all you're becoming. And I really appreciate the opportunity to share with your audience. And guys, you were listening to Dr. Harold Arnold. Fantastic gentleman. So happy I was finally able to get him on the show. Lots of great advice that you guys should either re-listen to the episode to get or check out the show notes page where all the links will be as well as a summary of the lessons he was talking about. And you can find that over at chasingdreamshq.com slash episode 68. And I just want to take a quick moment to reiterate his last piece of advice, the two parts, one, never, ever, ever give up. And two, don't always be so focused on the end goal, the result the dream, it's the the last part of your dream, right? Think about the journey. It is about the dream chase. It's about your process and your time getting there. Okay. That's just as important as getting to the end. So remember that, keep that in mind. And till next time, guys, keep chasing. Thank you so much for listening to Chasing Dreams. Amy would love to connect with you and hear all about your pursuit of chasing your dreams. Connect with her on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram via at Chasing Dreams HQ. Or you can find Amy on Twitter at AmyJ21. That's A-I-M-E-E-J-2-1. Be sure to visit headquarters over at ChasingDreamsHQ.com for more inspiration, motivation, and resources to help with your own dream chase. We hope you'll join Amy next week. And until then, keep chasing. Keep chasing.